Thanks for joining us. This is the Two Stroke Penalty Golf Podcast, and I'm your host, George Sliman. Today, we're talking to the Golf Channel's expert in NCAA college and amateur golf. We'll be discussing scholarships, budget cuts, cancellations, program shutdowns, and my particular disdain for one of the Ivy League program decisions. We'll talk about match play, the best Walker Cup team ever assembled, and of course, take a glimpse at the Masters in November, and without really saying it, we'll pick a favorite. So here's my conversation with the Golf Channel's Steve Burkowski. But I'd, I'd like to talk uh, sort of big picture about some yeah. things. So, no, all right. let's, let's have at it and uh, right. have some fun and go from there. Very good. So tell me, you're, uh, I understand you uh, did a little background check on you, right? So uh, you're, right. Jet, you're a Jets fan. Oh, yeah. Diehard Jets fan. Grew up in Jersey, was born in New York City. And my uncle, quote unquote, really my dad's cousin, was the defensive coordinator for the Jets when I was growing up. So, you know, I'd go out to Hofstra back in the day, the late 70s, early 80s and training camp, etc. But yes, that was my bread and butter for 40 plus years of watching the misery of the New York Jets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I hear you. I was uh, born in, in uh, Brooklyn and spent a little bit of time in Jersey before okay. moving to New England. Yeah. I, yeah. Jets were, uh, Jets were my team as a kid. Uh, I, I have since uh, over the years migrated, you know, it's, it's really weird as a kid. And then I picked the Los Angeles uh, Rams, which I, I can't understand why, but then, uh, you know, so I, I still remain a, an LA Rams fan and a, uh, you know, as they've migrated and a Pats fan, but yeah. So, uh, metropolitan New York. So, uh, tell me a little bit about your, what you did golf wise. What'd you do as a, as a youngster in golf? Anything? Gosh. Yeah. It was, uh, I say I was late to the sport growing up, up North, uh, you know, a golf season was maybe, St. Patrick's Day to Halloween ballpark, Mm -hmm. Uh, played a ton of sports. uh, But I'll always remember my brother's a couple years older than me. And my dad thought he was going to become the golfer. Um, Uh I was begrudgingly brought along kicking and screaming maybe at eight, nine and 10. And my dad, God bless him, 86 years of age, still remembers. He's like, you couldn't get the ball airborne. I felt horrible for you, but (laughs) I had to bring you along. And as I always sort of say, my first hole of high school golf, uh, I went to a Catholic school in in New Jersey, Union Catholic. Uh, You'd play some city teams that quite honestly, they were young men and women that had never seen a course, barely had five or six clubs. So we had a 10 shot rule of if you hit it 10 times, we're just going to give you a 10 and move on. Well, the first hole I ever played in high school golf, I never made it to the green and had already whacked it 10 times my senior year i was conference champion and all state so wow you know hey it's jersey i'm a realist you know Mm -hmm. not a ton of tour golfers are coming from there but it's i had no reason to chase the game yet i busted my hump to become pretty good up there uh in the late 80s early 90s yeah, I got to say, though, the, the Met area, is, it's full of good golfers. It really is. No, it is. You're, you're right. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I don't, uh, you know, knock it. I guess you just always think from a tour standpoint. Oh, sure. You, yeah, you, yeah. yeah, you had a Waltz and Brisky or a Bill Britton or a Jim McGovern who won in Houston. But 
uh, yeah, if you if you are the Met golfer of the year, the Met amateur of the year, you're uh, you know you're a stick. you've done pretty well for yourself. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So so tell me, um, what do you think of? Uh, well, I you've 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 been at the Golf Channel for twenty years. Twenty years. This past February first, two thousand. I'll be well, darned. I, I, I've I continue to surprise myself sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 you know, I, I am very happy that over the uh, last number of years, the Golf Channel has chosen to broadcast uh, college golf and uh, and more amateur golf. And I, I, I'm assuming you probably had a part in that because you've been their college golf guy for for so long. You know, I have, George. I go back to when I started. I'll, I'll try to give you the abbreviated version of I did four and a half years of radio in Columbia, South Carolina. Went to University of Florida, was always going to be a sports broadcaster. At least that's what I thought in my own mind. Mm-hmm. And cut my teeth doing radio. You know, that was sort of the mid-90s. Sports radio was becoming this chic thing. Uh, so I was the voice of the Lady Gamecock basketball team, a variety of things with the football team. It was a perfect place to learn what to do. Mm-hmm. Fast forward, go to the Golf Channel, hired as a PA, as low as you can start, told from the very get-go, you'll never be on air. I was 26, <laughs> 27. I said, oh, I will be. You know, I was just naive enough or arrogant enough to think, uh, you know, I- I'll do it. And Within a year or two to your question, I remember somebody said, we got to do something on college golf. And I said, it's mine. I'll do it. And lo and behold, a story turned into two and two turned into three. And that's where I caught my break. That's Mm. how I ended up on air in 02, pushed it all the way up to the top of uh, Golf Channel at that time. Dave Manoogian was our president and had done a mock tape, got coaches to write letters on my behalf. And that's where College Central presented by Ping was started, gosh, in 02. I think we had about a four, four and a half year run. So, yeah, that was sort of my baby. It was untapped. Golf Channel was around for six or seven years. And it allowed me to continue to do what I've done ever since. But, uh, yeah, I take pride in that, George, that that we started it. It sort of disappeared for a little. Uh, You know, different regimes have different priorities. And then lo and behold, back in 14 with the men and 15 with the women, we're broadcasting the NCAA championships. We've created the East Lake Cup in October. And now we have multiple other regular season events. I mean, you know, the week after the Masters a year ago, we're at Pasta Tiempo for the Western Intercollegiate. Obviously, the college golf season canceled in March of 20, but yeah. we're building something. And to still have my hand uh, in that kitchen, uh, I think I'll always do that as long as I have a job at Golf Channel because it really allowed me to to get to where I am today. Yeah, that's great. I, you know, I, I think it probably, well, it obviously must help you. You, you get to meet these kids uh, when they're young and, and they turn professional. Their golf careers continue. Some of them blossom tremendously. And, and you've got an in with some of these guys because you've been there early. Bingo. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't tell anyone my secret. I'm yeah. lucky that I've known. <laughs> Jordan Spieth since he's 14, Justin Thomas since he's 15. Uh, You know, I could rattle names for the past 20 years and 95% of them remember, appreciate it, respect it that you covered us when nobody was there. What do you you need from me? How can I help you? So it's 
it awesome. allows me to tell a story that goes probably a lot deeper than most people know. Yeah, that's great. So let, let's uh, let's let's head in that direction if we can a little bit in uh, the college and amateur uh, golf. I, I I've always kind of wondered. You know, in some of the uh, some of these events, you get the AMs in the, to the U.S. Open or to the Masters and things like that, and uh, the British and and they there are guys who suddenly perform wonderfully, and then you never hear anything again from them. Anybody come to mind in that sort of category where you know there's they just lit it up and then you just couldn't couldn't find them again oh that's a great question who's had a, a you know a really good showing at a major championship you know as an amateur you know through the through an invite uh that, that played well and you never heard from again um because you know you always you look at the low amateurs we've seen at augusta in recent years from ryan moore to cantley to hovland to matsuyama mm-hmm. They've all yeah. panned out pretty nicely. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the U.S. Open certainly gets deeper because the qualifying, you can see some amateurs. I'm going to uh, – I'll throw a name at you, and by no means has he disappeared. He just maybe hasn't progressed as high as we thought. Go back to the 2015 amateur, excuse me, Open at St. Andrews. Jordan mm-hmm. Spieth trying for three in a row. Zach Johnson ultimately prevails in the playoff. I believe tied for fifth, low amateur, was Jordan Abrugi. Okay. Kid from Oklahoma State. Yep. Wonderful player. Played on the Walker Cup team. He he has probably to this date, I'd have to double check, the lowest amateur score ever shot in an open championship, 146, 148 of these. It was Jordan Abrugi. Again, he's sort of toiling on the Corn Ferry Tour. Uh, By no means is he done, but maybe someone you would have thought oh my goodness, this is really going to catapult him to that next level of, uh, you know, professional golf. And maybe yep. it's just been a little slower for Jordan. He's the, he's the one name that pops out just off the top of my uh, mind of what could have been and still what very, uh, very possibly could be for Jordan E. Brugge. But man, I can't think of anybody, George, of just, boy, that guy was tied for 18th and you'd never heard from him again, at least in my era of covering the game. Yeah, I remember Justin Rose, you know, coming out and and, uh, lighting it up when he was 17, and then it took him a while to get percolating there. Yeah, good one. But he certainly did. Yeah, Yeah, 98 at Birkdale, he holes out. Mike Tirico, our good colleague, you know, way to go, kid. And then he missed 21, 23 straight (laughs) cuts. And and now he's a major champ. So that's what I'm saying with Nabrugi. Yeah. Don't, you know, don't, don't rule don't them count out, them out. Yet. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, in this, this past uh, replay of the masters uh, I watched and you know, they, they, I've forgotten that four of the AMs made the cut, which was the most since 1999, I guess. And, and that, that to me was pretty impressive. Do you think kids coming out, these young people coming out now uh, out of college, uh, are, do you see them as uh, better prepared mentally, physically, skills-wise than, you know, in years past? Oh, absolutely. Without a doubt, you can start with, and you just said it, the physical well-being of college golfers that become professional at 20, 21, 22 years of age. It is a different animal. They're physically fit. They are conditioned through college programs for the most part. 
technology, of course, plays a role. We can't turn a, turn a blind eye to what technology has done to the game uh, at that level as well. And, and something I've said when people ask a question like this, George, and I'll never deviate from this, I believe this is the Tiger Woods effect. He created the 20-something kids fresh out of college that are respectful yet want to roll right over you, and then we'll put the car in reverse just to make sure they finish the job. <laughs> I, this is what Tiger was when he said, hello, world, in 96. And now I'm not comparing anybody to Tiger. He's obviously one of the two greatest to ever play the game. But he created this, in my opinion, of this young group of talented kids that we saw with Spieth and Thomas and the list can go on and on from that high school class of 2011. And it's cool to play golf. You don't mm. think maybe 20 years ago, Dustin Johnson or Brooks Kepka or John Rahm are playing different sports. No, They certainly have the physical attributes and skill set to do such. So I think without a doubt in the last 5, 10, 15 years, better prepared. It's a tribute and a credit to all the college coaches, the programs, again, the conditioning. And they're not afraid, George. It's, it's remarkable. I remember, and I was thinking about it on my daily run and bike ride uh, <laughs> as we're, we're killing time these days uh, in a crazy world we live in. But, you know, I, for some reason it popped into my mind of, God, I really hope Jordan Speak gets back to where he was. And my mind raced back to the Quad Cities when I was there and he was there and he won as a 19-year-old. And I remember the interview and, and we're done and you, I can feel him gripping me on the back of like, oh my gosh, he, you know, he, he's getting emotional and I could feel it there. And, you know, it goes to your earlier point of the relationships I build. But when we were done, he, I said, he looked at me and he's like, how about that? And you could see in his eyes, he's almost like, what in the world did I just do? <laughs> you know, so yeah. um, yes, I, I think it's just going to continue to grow. I mean, we've seen it with John Rahm, and now it goes sort of globally. Joaquin Neiman winning last year at the Greenbrier. These youngsters are so ready, so prepared, uh, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. You, you, you mentioned they come out with, uh, you know, technology plays a big part in this. Do you think a lot of these kids, I, I'm assuming they do come out with this, uh, you know, analytics bent, this inclination towards that, because colleges are probably prepping them with all these things. So they get their track mans and their, their running statistics and all these things. I remember when was it Stanford came out and they said that they had calculated that they burned less energy by pushing the the, uh, the golf push carts than, the, than mm -hmm. carrying on the back. These guys, the analytics are off the charts, right? So is there somebody you think is the, a better field player coming out now, more recently, and less analytical? Boy, yeah, I mean, my great question. I, mean, I got to say Matthew Wolf. We look at his swing, and I'm not saying there's not some analytics there, but, you know, the teachings and working under George Gankis, it is a different approach. We have seen the success he's already had on the PGA Tour, winning in Minnesota last summer. Uh, as he said, I'm never going to change my swing. I'm never going to have other people look at it. I just have to recreate that each and every time. So that would be my initial 
gut reaction of a Matthew Wolf. Now, don't get me wrong. There's numbers, there's technology. But when you look at Matthew Wolf, when he knows when he's off, I think it was last year leading up to the NCAA championships, he had an indifferent week and I was asking him and he's like, yeah, I just got George on the phone, sent him a couple of videos, boom, boom, boom. And we fixed it. Mm-hmm. I hear something like that. I'm thinking that's a guy that owns his swing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I guess as, as much he's created this, but, but Bryson DeChambeau is on the opposite side, he, you know? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that one gives me a cramp just thinking about. That's that, for sure. That, yeah, that's a lot to digest. Bryson, as I've always said, he believes in what he does, and that's mm-hmm. all that matters. And I'm going to quickly circle back to, to Stanford. Probably the most intriguing experience I've ever had with any of these youngsters when they were in college. I spent a day with Maverick McNeely uh, at, in Palo Alto probably about four years ago before I was heading out to Pebble. I think he's a junior. He's one of the favorites going into the NCAA championships. And part of the urban legend was his, and I'm not a tech guy, so I don't, I don't know all the jargon, but he basically took what the PGA tour has in shot link and made it better for himself. He extrapolated all the data. He, from practice rounds to, uh, tournament rounds to you name it. He had how many fairways he hit, how many greens he hit, scrambling putts, etc. And then he'd go even further. Hey, I shot 65 today. Well, you know what? I had bananas and pancakes for breakfast and I had a lunch at the turn. Like it, it was wow. a marvel. He was probably 20 years old, 21 then. I'm twice as old and I'm looking at him saying, oh my goodness. So there's another side of it. And again, Maverick now on the PGA Tour having success, son of billionaire Scott McNeely from Sun Microsystems. So you can see somebody like Wolf and Maverick. And then, as you said, you throw out a Bryson DeChambeau and there's different ways to skin a cat. But, uh, you know, what we've just said with all of them, they're all in these 20-somethings. They yeah. are taking over the PGA Tour. Mm. Yeah, you know, I was down at uh, at in Bradenton at the concession when uh, when they played the NCAA's, and that 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 was fun. That was the first time I'd ever you know actually been to a, an NCAA uh, tournament, and it was uh, that was great. I mean, you had seat, you know, these guys, these names that continued, right? Ali Snyder, Jans, and DeChambeau was there, and CT Pan was there. Mm-hmm. It, that that was some that was some high level golf to watch. It was great. And it was, it was fun seeing all their, their coaches out there. They're, you know, the, yeah, it's certainly the highlight of uh, obviously any collegiate season, you know, even beyond college golf. So to, to lose it in 2020 um, with the cancellation of spring sports, but obviously big picture perspective, uh, we need to get everything right in the world and get healthy and safe and uh, recover and, you know, hopefully move forward to as close to normal as we can. Yeah, it's just a, it just seems like just a, such a disservice to the to the seniors of uh, you know high school college uh, everybody just missing missing that spring that uh, that final wrap up of their sports and their academics and everything. So yeah, it's a it's a bit of a bit of a travesty for them personally, but uh, they will be remembered in a special way down the road for sure. So l- let me ask you this: um, match play or stroke play in from a college perspective? What's your favorite? Oof. You know, with so many foods becoming scarce these days, we're lucky there's an abundance of cheese. 
Cheese is so tasty, satisfying, so nourishing, too. And it's mighty easy to add luscious cheese goodness to all kinds of dishes when you use Papstep, the delicious golden cheese food in the handy round flat package. Match play provides the drama, you know, and this is the age-old conversation that's only been around since 2014 um, when we started televising it. You know, the men switched in, what was it, 09 to match play to determine the national championship. The women did it in 15 when you were at concession the first year of uh, Stanford beating Baylor in extra holes. It's I've covered college golf 20 plus years. 99% of college events are five players go out and they count four scores. I remember when we broadcast the 05 NCAAs, uh, the women were in Oregon, the men were at Caves Valley in Maryland. And the hardest thing to do, my opinion, is to get a viewer to sit down and invest three hours of their time and they're watching George and they're watching Steve and we're four, five, six under. And then I get to 18 and I pump five in the water. I make 16 and my score doesn't count anymore. So you've just told somebody to watch and all of a sudden, Hey, you know what? His score, it doesn't mean a thing. I think that's so hard to translate to a casual viewer, a casual spectator. So you know, the powers to be had the foresight when they switched it to match play, the NCAA championship committee. I think they knew that was the only way it could get on television. That's a long winded answer, but that's what I do. I, I speak for a living. Uh, the match play is the drama, the excitement. And don't get me wrong. There were coaches calling, texting. What are we doing? We play stroke play all year. And then we get to the biggest event of the year and play in a format that we don't see. Now you've seen schedules change. You've seen conference championships change to emulate what we do uh, with the NCAA championships. But what, you know, what's the most common tournament? My mom, my wife, somebody that is a, a novice fan of the game, and my wife actually loves it, so I don't want to lump her in there. It's the Ryder Cup. It's Absolutely. the President's Cup. It is the head-to-head that you can watch somebody for eight minutes and you know they won, they lost, or they tied and they're moving on. Yep. It, it, it's just that simple. Um, yep. You know, for what we do, I think it is the perfect outlet. We have had drama on the men's side and the women's side more often than not at the NCAAs. And that's what people talk about. They don't say, well, you know, if she really shot 74 and she shot 73, but she beat her because it's the match play. It is the quick finality each and every hole. Uh, from a television standpoint, I think it's a home run. Uh, and I think coaches and players alike, um, I'm hopeful at least that they're, they're on board with what we've been able to provide simply a forum. Like you said, people now know who these individuals are, men and women, before they get to the next level. Yeah, and you know, it's a it's a it's a format that, it, you, as you said, is easily understandable. But it, but in a sport that moves in a, at a glacial pace and changes at a glacial pace, I should say, you know, just they don't necessarily want to make those changes. But but 
it's done wonders for for college. I mean, and it's made the format, like you said, to to be able to broadcast this and catch viewers. And you know, the other thing, the Walker Cup, right? Oh yeah. Amateur version of the Ryder Cup is the Walker Cup, and that that is, and and I have one regret regarding that, and I didn't make it to the to uh, national uh, golf links to watch that a few years back and that was the closest it was going to get to me so now i have to travel if i'm yeah i was i was there in 13 i was at hoy lake uh, this past fall um gosh i've probably covered six seven eight of them love it and you Mm. can get some drama chicago golf club final match i think it was jeff overton and i'm going to say nigel edwards 18 final hole like that's what it's about. And as you said it perfectly, it is the amateur version of the Ryder cup. I mean, who doesn't want to play for their country? Who doesn't want to have that bag with the red, white, and blue? I mean, that is, that is a meaningful experience that uh, most of the time is a real good indicator. Go look at, you know, the 07 team. I think seven of the Americans are PGA tour winners. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. Oh, I know it. Yeah. And uh, you know, for, for people listening, that's, that's Ricky Fowler. Billy Horschel, Dustin Johnson, Chris Kirk, Colt Nose, Trip Keeney, Jamie Lovemark, Webb Simpson, and Kyle Stanley, and Jonathan. And the one guy you Jonathan Moore. You go. The one yeah. guy you didn't mention is the guy that hit he the shot it. on eighteen to clinch it. So <laughs> that's right. Uh, that just goes to show you. And I ran into Jonathan. He's no longer playing professionally, and you sit there and you're like, "I'll oh, be darned! You're the guy who had won the NCAA championships uh, a year or two prior at Sun River." Uh, and, you know, you talk about somebody, where have they gone? There is a perfect example, not in the major, but you get a guy that wins the NCAAs, clinches the Walker Cup, and he's the one guy that doesn't play golf anymore. So go yeah. figure. Yeah. Yeah, that was a uh, – you think that ha- was hands down the best uh, Walker Cup team the U.S. has fielded? Oh, man, it'd be hard to just at face value argue with that. Uh, I went to the – 2011 cup walker cup at aberdeen and actually pitched golf channel i said we need to go cover we need to do an hour show on this this isn't the best team that could be this is the best team that is already happening and here was my sales pitch russell henley and harris english had already won on what is now the corn ferry tour as amateurs mm-hmm. Patrick cantlay had shot 60 in hartford on the PGA tour. So you had guys winning at a very high level when they were in college in professional events. You had a teenager in Cantlay who almost shot 59 in a PGA tour event. And I mean, you align it and there were just a handful. I said, we need to get out ahead of it. Convince them. We sent the whole crew. We were going to do an hour show, turn it around in a couple of weeks. And the first day, and again, they only played two days over there, uh, which I wish it was longer, but that's another story. Uh, it's 50, it's blowing 30, the rain's coming up from the ground, and Great Britain and Ireland comes out in short sleeve golf shirts. And I looked at my crew, I said, uh-oh, they're in trouble. And lo and behold, they beat what I still dub as the greatest team at that time. And then I remember I came back, we still spun it and hey, the future's bright. And everyone said, who's the, who's the star? Who's going to be the guy? Boom, boom, boom. I said, that, that kid's the best I've ever seen. And that was a 17-year-old Jordan Spieth. Yeah. yeah so, was, uh, go figure. Yeah. 
That's uh, yeah, that, that is great. It is great golf, uh, the Walker Cup for sure. So let, can while we're over there in Europe uh, discussing that, tell me what your thoughts are on uh, the recent announcement that the European Tour made about them really cutting back and not being, you know, prize money and sponsorships and don't expect the courtesy cars and, uh, you know, all of this as it relates to the, you know, ep- the pandemic that is, uh, is sweeping everywhere. Uh, you know, I think Keith Pelly, the man that leads the European tour, I think he's being realistic. I'm not saying it's a popular answer. If you're a supporter or a member of the European tour, um, but I think at this point in 2020, he's he's being up front. Let, let's be honest. The European Tour, they've got some great, great events. Six, seven Rolex Series events. Ends in Dubai, very similar to the FedEx Cup playoffs and, and what we have on the PGA Tour. But, you know, the big thing over there, George, you're, go, you're not going state to state or hopping in a car. You're, like, you're going country to country. And as we've seen what this pandemic has done, you know, the economy is flipped upside down. Our world is flipped upside, upside down. What happens with that as part of the cause and effect? You start losing sponsors. You start losing people that are ponying up money the courtesy cars, the, you know, uh, a plus locker room and the attendance. I mean, you name it. I think he's just being a realist of, Hey, you know what? We want to get back. We hope to get back, but when we do, it's going to be different. Again, it's probably a very unpopular statement. Uh, but I sort of tip my cap to him of maybe just getting out ahead of it and saying, well, you know, that, Six million euro purse is now going to be four, you know, or what was eight million is going to be five. And hey, you know, those courtesy Mercedes, well, you got courtesy Volkswagens. It's this pandemic has flipped our world upside down. I've continued to have conversations with guys on the PGA Tour, colleagues, co workers of when everything is good. When we get the green light, whatever that actually is and when it is, we'll find out. Are you going to be anxious to jump on a plane? Are you going to be excited to go check into a hotel? You know what I mean? There are so many layers on the back end of this, not only with golf, but everything that, again, I think Keith Pelley is just sort of saying, this is what it's going to be. So when we get back, you're going to have to change your mindset. And... Uh, you know, they might not be the only one, mm-hmm. you know, let's go back to what was the financial crisis? Oh, eight, oh, nine, when oh, yeah. all the banks in the automobile uh, industry were, were bailed out. Mm-hmm. Well, what happened? All those PGA tour events sponsored by Buick or sponsored by banks, they all disappeared. Right. You can't take government money, bail out, call it whatever, at least to help you and then go, schmooze your best clients and drop a million bucks or, or eight or 10 million on a sponsorship. There are going to be a lot of things down the line. So, uh, you know, Europe is in the same place we are, you know, in the States. I I think uh, he's just being very forthcoming and very open about what's I think going to be a very challenging return to professional golf all around the world. Yeah. I think the Euro tour uh, took it on the chin, you know, European union uh, took it on the chin during the 08, 09. Uh, you know, 
the Great Recession, and uh, they 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 ended up having fewer events in Europe and more around the world than yeah. you know they were they were doing the Middle East, uh, the Far East, uh, you know they were going everywhere, and uh, still going at the European tour. Uh, the LPGA had the same same issue. So those less capitalized, I would imagine, tours are going to, they're going to be the ones to struggle. This might be a, this might be a, a big opening for the, uh, the PGA to talk them into a world professional golf tour. Those time. conversations may or may not have happened. And I don't know, mm-hmm. but you know, we've heard rumblings about that. Yeah. It could be one of those that, um, you know, a couple of years from now, it's uh, maybe one big umbrella. Yeah forces might force somebody's hand who knows yeah so uh let me ask you this division one just from a budgetary perspective a division one program uh you know a high level division one program what's the what's the the team budget look like for a year in a in a sport like that because now they're starting to be a little bit revenue generating with the TV and, and uh, you know, the, the match play and the NCAA finals. But w- what's a budget look like in a, in a, in a D1 program? Oh, you're going to be looking at, again, we're talking blue bloods, top 10, top 15. You're going to get a D1 program, not including coaches' salary, but a team budget of travel, tournaments, equipment, et cetera, whatever deals they've got manufacturers. Uh, I'm going to say anywhere, we'll say between a quarter million and a half million, mm-hmm. which might not seem a lot. Again, I'm not counting the coaches' salaries or any of that, but strictly for, you know, how do we get around the 24 days of competition in the regular season? And, um, you know, and I think that's a fair estimate. There could be some a little more, some a little less. Uh, mm-hmm. But you know what you, you have found when you, when you look at the elite Division One programs, George? A lot of these guys and ladies, they fly privately now. There are deals worked out or the university jets or, mm-hmm. you know, hey, we got to get these student athletes back to school. So, you know what? We're going to take the university jet to get here so we can leave late and get back early and save two days of school. So, um, again, that that is a broad perspective of what the highest level uh, – institutions men and women are doing it again when you include salaries and all that you could be looking at you know over a million dollars uh for for a head coach and assistant and the budget that goes with it but i'm gonna segue real quickly because you you brought up a a interesting topic that i think is going to develop over the coming weeks and months of we talked about the cancellation of spring sports and then the ncaa saying athletes of spring sports will have the chance to come back for what I call a redo, a second senior season, which if you're a senior, let's say John Augustine, for example, one of the best players in the country, runner up at the U.S. Amateur, was going to play in the Masters in April, was going to play in the NCAAs in May and turn professional. Well, that doesn't exist in that timeline anymore. Uh, But if he hangs around and let's say the professional landscape looks different. Where is John Augustine going past the masters in November? You know what I mean? It's a different dynamic, but I go there from the standpoint, if Scott Limbaugh, the head coach wants him to come back or John wants to go back to Scott, you know, Scott and Vandy, these schools have the opportunity to 
give them what they got scholarship-wise as a senior or give them nothing at all. And that is going to be a base uh, uh, up to the institution, you know, a, a, a case-by-case study of how they want to do it. And I'm sort of on a tangent, but it's going to circle in. You want to go to Vanderbilt like that, that's $80,000 a year. So that is money coaches would have to go to the AD to say, hey, we've got two kids that want to come back and they're seniors and we want to do right by them. I need 160000 But then you have to think of all the spring sports, baseball and you name it, and it could be 30, 40, 50 athletes that need money. Now you've got an athletic department and budget that needs to come up with $4 million that they didn't plan on spending. Not to mention, you know the fact, I mean? yeah, the, their incoming freshman class might be cut down because of this whole thing too. Well, well the good thing is the, the, if these seniors come back, they won't affect the scholarship limit for the upcoming season. Mm-hmm. So the freshmen are going to get their money. And if a senior, and I use John Augustine as example, you go to Oklahoma, it's 35 grand. You go to Baylor, it's 67 grand. I mean, there are great players that have said they are coming back and others that are waiting to decide. But that's the good thing the NCAA did. It will not impact the freshmen. But let's say you're a sophomore and two years from now, you want that extra year back. It does count against the scholarship. So yeah. one thing I think you're going to see, the transfer portal in college golf is going to become like college football. And you're going to see the best of the best or very good ones try to hang around and get a scholarship somewhere else. That might take time. Um, but then look at Wisconsin. The AD, Barry Alvarez, uh, t- we said we're done. All seniors, you're not welcome back. Wow. So, you know, you are going to have schools saying that's not an option. We're not going to pay you. So we suggest you graduate and leave. And the big thing there, George, and – Fingers crossed, if college football doesn't happen in the fall of 2020, watch out. Oh boy. You are going to see athletic programs flipped upside down. And most, in my opinion, you will see a lot of men, non-revenue sports disappear. Well, Let's hope I'm wrong. Yeah, <laughs> let's hope so. Because that is, uh, yeah, that, that, would, uh, that would turn a lot of people's lives upside down. Yeah. And fans. But that's my yeah. long-winded answer to the, the budget of, you know, the elite. And, and you know what? The more I think about it, when you get the true elite, you could be pinching closer to a million. Um, you know, which that's a lot of money. Yep. You know, that's a lot of money. Uh, but there are some that literally, you know, do it with, with tape and, 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 you know, and glue. So it, it's pretty impressive. But these days, it's what do your facilities look like? What's the schedule? You know, how do they get to that next level quickly? And, uh, yeah. you know, it's fun to watch it happen. Yeah. Well, let me, I'm going to throw out three names to you, and you're going to tell me uh, what the program is, and you'll do this, uh, what the program <laughs> is and why it is such a unique thing. And that is Lee Jansen, Marco Dawson, and Rocco Mediate. Florida Southern, the you moccasins bet. all playing under the legendary Charlie Matlock. Division yeah, two. Coach. D2 power. That's, not, that's D2. just amazing. Yeah, uh, Lee and Rocco were teammates, and I want to say Marco was a couple years behind them, if memory serves. But, yeah, I think uh, it was 85. Yeah. yeah, you know, and for all those listening, you did not tell me that ahead of time. It's no, just, I, I know. did not. 
I, I've got way too much uh, dead space in between the years that remembers that. But yeah, that's a two-time U.S. Open champ and then a guy that almost won a U.S. Open against Tiger from a D2 school in what Lakeland, Florida. Yeah, and a senior Open champ in, in, yep, good in Marco. Yeah. So aside from Florida Southern, who is just strikes me as an anomaly. They've won 13 national championships uh, in golf, in men's golf. Another D2 school you, you think is uh, kind of a powerhouse in the, in the golf scene. Wow. 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 Well, you go back to the days, as you said, of Florida Southern and, you know, uh, gosh, what'd you have? You had uh, Rollins college for mm-hmm. a while that was up there uh, when they win a national title and, 0304 Rob Oppenheim who's on the PGA tour he's a New Englander he uh he went to Rollins College um gosh you got me thinking I know Barry Lynn University also a very uh a very good uh D2 program year in year out USC Aiken had a great run Michael Carlisle their head coach down there the Pacers uh also a good one I'm trying to think of Others. Those are the three or four in the last, you know, I'd say 20 years. Nova Southeastern, good, yep. uh, good D2 program. Ben Taylor, <coughs> excuse me, who clinched the national and title for 15. LSU at concession. Yep. He is the only player to ever win a Division II and a Division I national championship in golf. Oh, now there's some trivia. That's good. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, once in a while you get. As I said, I got a lot of empty space uh, up there. <laughs> you know the the. Um, I, I know you know Patrick Reed came from uh, Augusta State, and Augusta State, my understanding was played D one in golf only, and D two everything else. Correct. D two athletic program in everything but golf. Uh, Patrick Reed, Henrik Norlander, back to back national titles in what was it, twenty ten and twenty eleven. Um, you know, they took down Oklahoma State and Georgia. I mean, it was it was really remarkable what then Josh Gregory, the head coach, was able to do. Let's be honest, a lot of these international kids you fell in love with, oh, we get to play at Augusta? Well, yeah, yes and no, depending how you want to look at it. Um it, that probably doesn't get nearly enough credit attention when you really think about it. Gosh, George, we're a decade later. I mean, I remember we ended up doing a feature on that when they had had the banners and had a thing. I mean, it's a, it's a D2 program. It's basically a commuter school that went to Stillwater, Oklahoma, and beat Oklahoma State, you know, took out the very best uh, – that's you bringing it up makes me really think that doesn't get the love it should get. Yeah. wasn't, I mean, Oklahoma state, one of the most storied uh, golf programs in history. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and let me tell you, don't go to Karsten Creek and beat <laughs> them on their course. Uh, yeah. As we saw a couple years ago uh, when the Cowboys capped off that miraculous season, not miraculous, magical season, nothing miraculous mm-hmm. about it. Um, so, yeah, Augusta, you could almost sort of put into that D2 power. You know, even though they were Division One, I, I mean, what they were able to do not once but twice with Patrick Reed, uh, Reed leading the way going 6-0 is, uh, is pretty darn good. Sure was. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, – that 
you know, I think you, you, you must have to choose to, to go up, right? You have to kind of uh, petition to go up, don't you? Yeah, to, to gosh. A, a division? Yeah, and, and, you know, it's almost above my pay grade. I'm probably just knowledgeable enough to be dangerous. But when you want to go from D2 to D1, and I don't need I'll be honest, I have no idea how Augusta was able to have a golf program that was D1 and everything else D2. I always was somewhat under the impression, you know, you're all for one and one for all. And there's usually that trial period. And let's be honest, it revolves around football. How many fannies are you going to put in the seat? How much money can you generate to this conference that you might join? Uh, Yeah, that's not just a random, hey, by the way, I think we're going to do that. So, you know what? You're, you've challenged me there, uh, maybe unknowingly, of I'm going to try to find out exactly how Augusta was able to separate one from the other. And my gut feeling, if memory serves, that maybe they were all D1 and they actually dropped back and somehow the, the golf program was, uh, you know, my grandfathered in. But uh, you've challenged me. So next time we talk, I'm going to make sure I know that. That'll be great. That'll be great. One last thing. <laughs> Augusta, yeah. the Masters, November. Two hours and 15 minutes less of daylight, April versus November. How do you think it's going to play out visually, uh, you know, conditionally? Let's hope it's not cold. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> because early November, uh, it could be chilly, and I know we've seen some of those forecasts uh, put out there on social media once uh, the folks at at Augusta National put that out. Um, You know, it's a different time of year. Uh, It's a magical place. There's nothing like it. I'm heartbroken that the Augusta National Women's Amateur uh, Mm -hmm. had to be canceled for 2020, understandably so, to be part of that first ever broadcast last year was uh, something I'll, I'll, I'll never forget. But, you know, the aesthetics will still be magnificent because it's Augusta national, but uh, you know, I don't, I'm not sure how many people are aware that usually from Memorial day to around Halloween, give or take Augusta national closes every year. Yeah. It's too hot. The, the most revered course, you know, in the world, the four or five, six months you would think most people would play. It's maybe when they're working on renovations or doing stuff. It's a global, uh, you know, entity with membership. So uh, I'll be curious, and I can't quite precisely answer that because you wonder how much of that's going to be deviated. What if some players want to sneak up in the middle of September or early October? Uh, are practice rounds going to be available? You know, there's so many questions that you've never dealt with in a November. Um, you know, is it going to play firm and fast? Is the, you know, uh, is mother nature, what kind of impact, because we know they can prepare that course, uh, you know, unlike any other to to use a bit of a a pun, but, uh, you know, I'll be intrigued. And I know it's a vague answer because I'm not quite sure, you know, I I think mother nature, what are the summer going to be like? What's the fall going to be like? Uh, gosh, if they can make azaleas bloom in November, then then they truly (laughs) are the greatest place in the world. So I think it's just visually, yeah. Probably going to look a little bit different, but uh, boy, you cer- certainly get this sense of, you know, Rory McElroy looking to complete a career grand slam and he plays great in the fall. Always, 
uh-huh, you're reading my mind. Everything mm -hmm. always gears up to April. And then lo and behold, we've seen him on these magical late runs, whether it be at a Ryder Cup or clinching a FedEx Cup championship. And you start thinking, with this forced break for, for everybody in 2020, might this be, hey, it's not the countdown to Augusta of, oh, can we get through – the Florida swing, can we get off the West Coast? I can't wait to get there. He, he could be so caught up in a good thing of, well, geez, we've got majors in August and September, and then lo and behold, the Masters, and I, I'm not even sure if I'm going to get this right, would be the last major of the year and the second major of the season. <laughs> I exactly. put the new schedule out. You know, yeah. There's one major here. There's six majors here. Um, Whoever wins is going to barely have time to have tailoring on the green jacket. Yeah, because they're going to have to give it back in five months, right? And exactly. <laughs> try to win another in April. But, yeah. uh, again, a little uh, ambiguous because I, I'm just not sure. I mean, who's ever thought about what does is, what is Augusta National look like uh, in the second week of, of November? But uh, let me tell you, if that comes to pass, could you think – of anything better after Halloween, Thanksgiving, it's, and Christmas around the quarter than it's an extra holiday. Halloween. Yeah. Oh, you're right. That is well yeah. said, well, You know, I don't think I can get time off for that holiday, so hopefully <laughs> I'll be working because I can handle that. Exactly. Well, Steve, I want to thank you for joining us. Um, I appreciate your time and I appreciate your input and your knowledge, and I appreciate what you've done at the Golf Channel for uh, the the parts of golf that didn't always get you know seen and heard and you brought it out to the forefront and i appreciate that now george a pleasure appreciate the kind words thanks for having me and uh happy to help you any way i can my friend all right thanks take care well i hope you enjoyed that time with steve burkowski the man has got some info his new nickname at least from my perspective is shelf space burkowski well i have to tell you that probably one of the worst decisions up here in new hampshire we've seen in a long time as it pertains to the golf industry was the closing of Hanover Country Club. Right at the end there at Dartmouth College, a property owned by since 1900 Dartmouth College. And they shut down the men's and women's golf team along with the men's and women's tennis team and among others. But just a poorly motivated decision in the midst of COVID. Opportunistically, they shut it down. Had to be some people who just didn't like it or thought that the beautiful verdant land of the Hanover Golf Club could be used for buildings or something else. It's a shame. If you like this program, give us a follow on Twitter, the number two stroke podcast, two stroke podcast, and on Instagram, the number two stroke penalty podcast, two stroke podcast and two stroke penalty podcast. Give us a follow. We'd appreciate it and give us a rating on wherever you got this podcast. Thanks. See you next time.